Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to a very special episode of the Empire and Pilot TV Podcasts. Oh, yes, indeed. You know, it takes something truly momentous for us to cross the streams and bring Empire and Pilot together. It only happens once in a blue moon, in fact. But recently, that something truly momentous happened. The Walking Dead came to star on Disney+. Plus. All ten seasons of it, all 153 episodes of the adaptation of Robert Kirkman's comic book. Every single minute so far of the zombie show that changed the game for horror television, that brought zombies crawling and snarling into the mainstream, gave us more memorable deaths than you could shake a baseball bat covered in barbed wire at, and spawned a number of spin-offs, including one day soon, hopefully, a series of movies that will continue the story of the show's original lead, Rick Grimes. The 11th and final season begins its run on Star in August, so we figured it was the perfect time to mount a quick look back at The Walking Dead, its standout episodes, characters, villains, moments, and deaths. So if you're a fan of the show, this might just get you in the mood and super pumped for season 11 to begin. And if you're a relative newcomer and you like what you hear, then you can dive right into the complete collection on Star. Having wiped your mind of all the spoilers we're going to be talking about, <laughs> of course. We're going to try wherever possible, and where major deaths are concerned, to give you a heads up. You know, skip the next 45 seconds, or next 45 minutes, that kind of thing. Anyway, just like when Morgan rocked up in Fear of the Walking Dead, this is a crossover, and joining me to talk all things walking and dead for the next 45 minutes or so are two of the finest whisperers I know. But they're not whisperers in the sense of, ca- you know, capital W, in that they don't you know, where zombie <laughs> remains and whatnot. And they're not whispers with a small W because that would be terrible on a podcast. Anyway, please welcome Beth Webb. Hello. I mean, this li- Jesus, Beth. Beth, that was not a whisper at all. You went f- very far in the opposite direction, oh. and I applaud that. <laughs> How are you? Listen, I'm good. I'm good. I'm surprised you've called me a whisper when my name is literally a character's name in the show. But this I'll is take- true. <laughs> but no, yeah, I- but it doesn't end well for Beth. That doesn't end well for anyone, does it? So. I had a, a quiet minute before I came on the pod to think about if any character named Beth has ever had a good time in a show or film. And so far, I've come up with none. Everyone dies horribly. Called Beth. There's a film called Life After Beth. Is how yeah. how cursed my name is in in film and TV. But yeah, no spoilers. No. But there's a very slim chance you're going to make it out of this podcast alive. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, there we go. If there Beth we go. dies, we riot. <laughs> Hashtag. No, you'll, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. That's reassuring. Thank you, Chris. Yes. Um. <laughs> uh, but hopefully, not making out of the podcast alive will be the host of the pilot TV podcast, <laughs> James Dyer. Hello, James. Hello, Chris. Just call me Negan. The yep. similarities between you and Negan are marked. Thank you. You are a Negatron. I am indeed, it's true. You're very negative about everything. <laughs> Except this show, obviously. Except this show. Except this show. So The Walking Dead. It's about to finish. It's about to finish, folks. It is. One season left. Yes. It's going into its final season, just about to do so. So it's been going for ten seasons. We've got a couple of spin-offs now. And it, it's left a huge imprint on pop culture. What is the secret of its enduring appeal? Why has this show been so successful and for so long? That's an excellent question. Um, I, funnily enough, so I, I really liked The Walking Dead before the series. So I got uh, one of uh, one of the former 
Empireites, one Glenn Ferris, uh, once ronked up to me and showed me his copy of The Walking Dead, the original Robert Kirkman comic. I think it was, it was pretty early on in the run, actually. And it's such a compelling story. A, it's really nicely drawn and stuff, but it's a beautifully told story. I mean, it starts in that very 28 days later kind of way. It's a guy, you know, so you don't see the apocalypse happen. You wake up in the aftermath of it. But the way it kind of the story t- rolled out, the way it evolved, the way it was never afraid to take away characters that you love uh, in increasingly horrific ways. Uh, I thought it was amazing. So when they were adapting it, I was like, yes, come on, let's watch this. You know, how are they going to do it? And we will get onto this season by season. But I think what works really well about this show, this is not a show about zombies. Now, that sounds a ridiculous thing to say about a show that is quite obviously about zombies. But for me, the thing about this show is this is a show about people being awful to each other with a backdrop of zombies. The zombies are never at the foreground of the story. They are always just sort of the noise in the background, the texture of this world. And I think that was a really smart move with this show. You get to feel for it. You get to feel for Carl. You get to feel for all of them. And then there's this constant threat in the background. So it could have been set in the future and there's a future war. It could have been set where there's a viral outbreak. In this case, it's zombies. But it's just there is an environmental hazard and this human drama plays on top of it. And I think that's why this works. I think if this was a show about zombies, you'd get bored of it very quick. Yes, I would agree with that. I also um, began The Walking Dead with the graphic novels. So I was I had this fantastic neighbor at university who had a trunk full of graphic novels. And in that trunk was The Walking Dead series. So every other week or so, he'd he'd give me them. And I went through the series to and And it was they're incredible. They are obviously pioneering to the point that when the show came out, I wasn't quite ready to watch it yet, partly because I thought the, the graphic novel series was so, so special, but also because they're awful. And I just wasn't quite ready to see that realized <laughs> in a television show. I will say that the, the graphic novels go to some lengths, which thankfully are spared um, in the TV show, especially with the treatment of some of the women. But that said, it is a very cruel show. It's mm. it's one of the first shows I've watched. I mean, it. It aired a, a year before Game of Thrones, I think it was. It was the first show that I knew of that really hurt people. People were walking away from it, like genuinely hurt and affected, but came back to it every episode wanting more of that. And I thought that was so incredibly interesting in terms of storytelling, in terms of the way that they navigated through, constantly navigating through this very shady moral territory. No one was good. No one was bad, except for our Lord St. Glenn looks to the heavens. (laughs) But yeah, it it just really spoke to people and incredibly, I'd never seen people react to a show in the way that they had The Walking Dead. People have reacted to shows in similar ways since, like Game of Thrones, like The Handmaid's Tale, with that depth of cruelty but yeah it was the first time i saw people genuinely hurt and engaged with a show on this level before clearly you're not an eastenders fan <laughs> <laughs> listen I, i'm a cat fan through and through i i think she would probably outlive every single person on walking dead to be honest <laughs> but yeah no it, it's just it's and and uh, you know i'm, I'm painting it as all doom and gloom into it to a respect it is but it is so emotionally engaging on such mm. an interesting level and james is right it's it's got so to do with zombies after i think the first two episodes really You know, there's still a a decent part of it. You know, you don't get uh, Greg Nicotero involved in a show like this if you're not going to let him loose on amazing makeup every now and again. There's a bloated zombie that, you know, that that 
falls back at the well at one point in the early in one of the early seasons. Oh, that that's one that sticks in my mind. And there's yeah. all sorts of amazing, inventive, progressive ways of pushing zombie makeup and zombie effects, which I mm. which I really like. As a sort of old school Romero fan, I've mm. I've really admired the show for for that. Uh, but you're right, The Walking Dead of the title, it works on two levels, folks. It's like the Matrix Revolutions. Uh, there's so much going on here. And The Walking Dead, of course, refers not just to the walkers uh, or the zombies, uh, but to the, the main cast, to the humans. You know, they're literally The Walking Dead. And you know, one of the um, key themes of the show is, I think, showing moral degradation to a large extent. You know, Rick in particular uh, and Carol are two characters who go on very, very different journeys and become very, very different characters than they are when we meet them at the beginning. Carol probably especially because she's mm. a, an unassuming housewife who then ends up becoming a merciless killing machine. Uh, whereas Rick is a, you know, he's a member of law enforcement. So I guess that's maybe not such a, a decline for him. But for me, it's not necessarily about wallowing in that. Maybe at times... As with every show, there could be wrong steps and and detours, and maybe there have been episodes that have possibly wallowed in that, perhaps more than we would like. But for me, it's ultimately about showing that there is a way out, uh, a way out of that, and a way out of the morass that you can fall into in a moral and ethical way in a world where you know everything is. It's a dog eat dog world, or you know, tea dog eat tea dog world. It's it's there's <laughs> all sorts of stuff going on here that slowly chips away at your moral fiber and eats away at your soul if you believe in such a thing and some people can come out the other side and so i think it's it's ultimately about that and about it's about survival it's about warmth maybe ultimately the warmth of human kindness and creating a new society in the uh, out of the ashes of the old one and and for me this is one of the reasons why i think i've always gravitated towards zombie movies because they they tend to take place in a post apocalyptic landscape and there tends to be not wish fulfillment because that makes me sound like a truly terrible human being but there isn't there is an element of what would i do what if how would mm. i fare in this world full disclosure i would die in the first five minutes uh, <laughs> and not well not well my death would be bad it would be incompetent riven by incompetence uh, that would that's basically what my death would be uh, i wouldn't even be killed by a zombie i would trip uh, you know i'd, I'd <laughs> I trip and stab myself in yeah. the first five minutes. Bang my head on something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just bleed out slowly alone on the stairs. The Walking Dead gets into that. It gets into the nitty gritty in a way that Romero, even though he made six films in, in this world, and there have been obviously countless other movies set in countless other zombie apocalypses, they've never really taken the the time to properly get into this, into the minutiae of it. How would it work? How would, you know, what would happen if, you know, you found yourself fighting for survival, you know, against the worst people alive, which Rick and co frequently find themselves doing? And would there be hope for humanity? But part of that is that it's not because because Romero stuff were to a certain extent short term, like you're not really looking at. Yeah. the long-term effects of what happens. Because it's always about then, it's like, who who's good and who's bad? Like that, they tend to be quite binary. Mm. And I think what's interesting about The Walking Dead is it looks at morality as a kind of this sort of fluid line where morality is, to a certain extent, a social construct. It's what people require to enable them to, you know, live in harmony with other human beings. And then 
when the world changes in this, the contract changes, the laws change, so morality shifts. So it's not like uh, Rick and Carol and everyone, they, you know, they take a slide into darkness. It's just their sense of morality has to change because the world changes around them. So killing people just becomes not good or bad. It just becomes a necessity of the life they now have to live. Mm. Uh, and they have to be absolutely ruthless and absolutely brutal. And a part of it is maintaining that core of humanity and not letting that go. So you keep that core and then the sort of how you act on a day-to-day basis shifts around you. But even if you look at some of the villains, the governor being sort of the first example, but going up to Negan, like none of them are irredeemable. They were all people who started out with a purpose that, you know, was understandable, was relatable. You can empathize with them. And then they made very difficult, very problematic choices, which led them down quite dark paths. But it's very easy to see how each one of them got where they ultimately got to. And I think it would be very difficult for any of us to say we wouldn't necessarily have gone the same way. I'm sure we'll get into Negan when we start talking about that series. But actually, if you Mm -hmm. boil right down, like Negan commands the most shocking scene in this entire show and comes across as the most brutal character however you know if you see what takes him to that point and you see who the aggressors were in that it's not that cut and dried uh, and obviously we get to learn a lot more about negan as we go along and i think one of this show's greatest achievements is the redemption of negan to turn him from the most horrific character the most shocking character in the show and make him one of the sympathetic most sympathetic and to a certain extent one of the best characters in the latter seasons which is which is a pretty incredible kind of narrative feat yeah looking forward to getting into um to negan later on and i do implore you to go away and look at um fan photos of Jeffrey Dean Morgan at Walking Dead con events because there's some of my favorite things in the entire world. Everyone is like a prom photo, I promise you. It's never disappointing. Okay, we'll get into Negan later on for sure, but what we're going to do now is we're going to fly through all 10 seasons to date, give you a quick recap. Uh, not not a lengthy one, you'd be glad to know. Quick recap of basically what happens in each season, and then we're going to discuss our favorite moments, favorite characters, and yes, earmuffs for those who are spoiler-averse. Favourite deaths. Oh, now I am a whisperer. Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, all right, so we'll start with season one. It's controversial, I know, but that's where we'll start, uh, which was, well, of course, the show was created for television by Frank Darabont, uh, who directed the first episode as well, called Days Gone By. Uh, so season one, in which Sheriff Rick Grimes, played, of course, by Andrew Lincoln, him out of love, actually, awakens in his hospital bed to find the world has been devastated by zombies. Uh, but to him... That is perfect. Quickly making sense of his situation, he teams up with a number of survivors, including his wife, Lori, Lori, son, Carl, best friend, Shane, and a couple of brothers called Daryl and Merle, uh, plus Dale and Andrea and Glenn and Amy and other amazing characters as well. Uh, and Carol, of course, is there right from the beginning also. They slowly make their way to Atlanta and the CDC the Center for Disease Control, where a major revelation changes everything. So this was a very, very quick season, six episodes, short, sharp shocks. But what do we make of it? Where does it stand? I mean, it's the the first episode is just beautiful. Mm. It's like him just coming out of the hospital state. It's what makes the opening of Twenty Eight Days Later so so stunning. You know, it, it, it's it's really deliberately paced. I absolutely love it. Um, I think this first season is 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 completely fantastic. Um, and I love the you know you you were right into the emotional sort of drama straight away. The fact that you know he wants to find his best friend, he wants to find his wife, and then he finds his best friend and his wife. But his best friend is with his wife. Drama and also a um, psychopath. And also a psychopath. <laughs> yes, it's John Burntell. 
kind of got, should have seen it coming. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing, and and you very quickly, I think, single out who the great characters are going to be. Like Daryl immediately comes mm. across as someone who's got like Norman Reedus. He, there was something about him from the get go. He had a a mystery, a charisma, an appeal to that character. Merle was never going to last. Yes. So I think we all knew that. <laughs> the, I mean, the mystery being, why doesn't he wash? <laughs> Where can I get one of those waistcoats from? <laughs> um, yes. You know, and Carol too, Carol, and uh, you mentioned this already, like how she starts off as this kind of abused wife with her husband, Ed, who's a massive bellender, gets mm. eaten. Sorry, Ed, not sorry. Um, you know, and that, that essentially frees Carol. And then she goes with a, goes through a big old trauma in, in season two and then becomes the hardcore badass Carol that we know and love. Yeah. But you wouldn't know it to look at her in season one. And that you is would why. Not. To me, she has one of the, probably the best character arc um, mm. of the show, just to see, and it's been nice to go back for this and see where she was. I mean, it's not nice for Carol, but it's nice <laughs> to go back and see her origin and how she started and to see this extraordinary arc that she goes through, which again, you know, she's salvageable. Then she goes and does something murky and feels terrible about it. And and like you say, James, it's all filtered through this very precise moral prism. that, And, and I think... I'm always back in her. I'm always, I'm always by her mm. side with Carol. So I'm pleased with that. Also, shout mm. out to um, John Berntel as well. I think, considering he has to exist to to kind of bolster what a nice guy Rick is, to show what the world is going to do to Rick later on and show mm. his unraveling. I think he shoulders that. You know, he's the first baddie, isn't he? Really, he's the first kind of real villain that we come up against, and it's that extra sting that he's his best friend as well. But again, you know, you look at his circumstances, you look at, you know, he's fallen in love with his best friend's wife and then, you know, they, they've got this shock reveal that he's come back and he's alive and then he has to make sense of that, you know. He's mm. hurting two guys. <laughs> it's beautiful. I will just never forget, you know, we, we have to think about best shows and best scenes in, in shows a lot of the time. Uh, you know, Rick on the horse going into the city for the first mm, time. Mm. It doesn't get much better than that, I don't think. And I also love the idea of this, that obviously the dead congregate in the cities, which is very useful for them from a budgetary point of view, because it means they can stick out into rural cheap areas without having to shut down large <laughs> uh, residential districts. Um, but yeah, so then going into that city for the first time, and the CDC, which seems like a sensible place to go, but obviously doesn't really amount to much. And that I love that revelation which he gets at the end of the season, kind of changes the fundamental nature of the show and the zombie mythology, crucially as well, that this isn't something, this isn't a threat that can be overcome, this isn't a foe that can be defeated. The nature of life has changed, where now everyone who dies will come back as a walker regardless of how they die. Yeah. And that is pretty terrifying. Definitely. Also, the, small, the, the scale is so much smaller, but it instantly lays the blueprint of what's to come. Remember when the key goes down the drain and then it's realised <laughs> oh, that they have to leave. Mal. <laughs> but, you know, even something as small as that, he's handcuffed to the... And they, they leave here. They have to make that instant choice. They either stay... I mean, you would. Or, uh, you, you definitely would. But you're instantly put into that world and you're instantly thought, yeah, fair. And then you're like, oh God, I'm really wishing this man to die. And and the worlds keep growing and they, the, the universe keeps expanding and the franchise keeps expanding. But you know, you're instantly dropped into these moral quandaries and you do, it's like shocking how quickly you're like, yeah, I'd leave him. So, yeah, totally. So yeah, yeah. Well, James, yeah, James would leave us in a heartbeat. And <laughs> that's not even in a post-apocalyptic landscape. He would just leave you. 
Remember, Chris, I don't need to outrun the zombies. I just need to outrun you. Precisely. That's very much from the Shane uh, textbook you've, <laughs> you've taken there. Shane in this show, by the way, not Shane as played by Alan Ladd in the classic Western. He's not like that at all. Anyway, um, yeah, there, there's so much about this this uh, the setup, which is really interesting. You know, I also came to it as a fan of the comic book before uh, seeing the show and obviously a fan of Frank Darabont. And uh, I was fascinated to see what they were going to do and how closely they were going to hew to the comic book and obviously over the years they've been there's lots of major touchstones that they've been hitting you know lots of major arcs that they have not entirely replicated but they've certainly hit the, oh, yeah. the, 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 the prison uh, mm. Negan all that stuff but they have deviated from it enough in crucial ways that you can't ever tell where the TV show is going so characters yeah. who are dead in the comic books like Carol are still very much alive and kicking in the TV show characters who are dead in the TV show are still alive and kicking in the comic books and so on and so forth and you also have the wild cards of characters who are created just for the TV show and Daryl is one of those and Daryl very very quickly became a fan favorite to the point where there was a a hashtag in a campaign if Daryl dies we riot and in a way, that's made him almost bulletproof. I mean, yeah. the guy's been shot, stabbed, you know, pretty much everything other than, you know, incinerated in nuclear fire. And he yeah. still keeps coming. Although his, his waistcoat has seen better days. Yes. And, and he's going to have a Daryl and Carol spinoff Indeed, as well, which I assume which is, is some sort of sitcom. sitcom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Multi camera. Yeah. <laughs> in front of a dead studio audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be all that sort of stuff. But yeah, Daryl is in many ways the kind of, you know, Rick was the focal point of the show. Michonne was also the focal point of the show. Huge fan favorite in the comic books. But Daryl was, was the wild card. So, you know, you've, you've talked about him a little bit already, but, you know, what is it about that guy that popped? I, I think it's exactly that. I think it's that he is a wild card. You never quite knew where his loyalties lay, what he was going to do. Because bear in mind, like he's not Merle, like Merle, who was kind of uh, an obviously somewhat villainous character. But he's what, the Merle's- Michael Rooker character? Are you yeah, kidding? Shocking, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but he's Merle's younger brother. You know, there's some of that in him. He's a dude with a motorbike and a crossbow. Like he's cool. He's hardcore. Like he's badass. I think. One of the most difficult sequences of this show to watch, and obviously we will get into all the season seven stuff, but when Negan has Daryl held captive and is gradually breaking him down, Mm. that is really, really tough. And I think one of the reasons for that is you're so attached to Daryl at that point Mm. that you go through every moment of that with him. It's, It's really brutal stuff. Yeah, he's definitely not a valiant character in the franchise, which again, I mean, Rick... Again, I feel like Rick is someone that has to exist in this world. Rick is somebody who has to drive this story forward and we have to bag him. We don't have to bag Daryl, but we do because we th- there's such a lovable quality to him. He has a hangdog kind of face as well, doesn't he? Like he has that kind of lost, slightly kicked puppy look about him, which I think is like, so you do, you just want to sort of like welcome him in. And I think the bond he forges with Carol Mm. really helps sort of forge that character. Those two together are like both of them kind of steel spined. There's a kinship between those two, which I think becomes one of this show's most sort of unbreakable bonds. And I think whereas you kind of, you you hinted at this, whereas Rick is, is certainly shaped by his 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 sort of morality and his path as a as a you know as a, as a 
uh, law officer, uh, law officer, it's law, a, <laughs> a law officer. Cop, I think it's the best. As a cop, yes, that's, a, that's the word, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> Shanghai's career as a cop. You know, Daryl isn't like that. You know, he, he, I mean, he'll put a crossbow bolt in your face as soon as you look at you. Yeah. Also, I'd like to thank Norman Reedus for being partially responsible for one of my most successful tweets. When uh, I was doing the uh, red carpet at a Walking Dead event at Comic-Con and he uh, came along, uh, I was talking to Andrew Lincoln and Norman Reedus came along and decided to take a selfie of him and Andrew Lincoln and I photobombed him and <laughs> put it on Twitter. And those people were like, ha ha ha, that's very, very funny. And But the comment that always sticks in my mind is someone who said, uh, hang on, is that Alan Carr? And mistook me for oh, the wow. comedian and TV host, Alan Carr. So there you go. Thanks. Uh, anyway, on to season two. On to yes. season two, in which the bedraggled survivors arrive and spend a not insignificant amount of time at Herschel Green's farm. Carol's mm. young daughter, Sophia, goes missing. Glenn meets and falls for Herschel's daughter, Maggie. And Rick and Shane, how should we say this, have a falling out. Yeah, they do. This, is, this season's got the first, I think, heartbreak moment, like proper heartbreak mm. moment from this show, which is when the barn door opens... And Sophia kind of shambles out. Because Sophia's gone missing. Like, they, they get attacked by walkers, don't they? She hides under a car. She runs off. Rick tells her, run, run. No, he tells her to hide. And she disappears. And that you don't know what's happened to her for quite a while. But then you find out that Herschel, pacifist Herschel, hasn't been killing walkers. He's been locking them up in the barn. And when they open the barn, when they let the walkers out, like, and, and Sophia wanders out, and poor, that's when Carol kind of breaks. But uh, just just when she wanders out in their kind of ripped T-shirt and she strolls out. That's Madison Lintz, incidentally, who plays Maddie Bosch on Bosch. Uh, but yes, that's uh, poor old Sophia. Is she a zombie on Bosch as well? No, no, okay. she's not. Yeah, I think that was, that's when we knew everything was not okay, wasn't it? Because in my <laughs> yes. mind, and, and again, this is this is where I think the show was, was especially groundbreaking because you just assume you'll catch up with her later. You just assume that she's kind yeah. of foraging in the, in the, the you, your mind at that stage, at that point in television history, didn't think that that's where she would be at all. Even mm. if you read the comics, I think you wouldn't think to that it would go to that that extent i mean now i just don't i don't keep anyone close in any tv show ever but you know I think like, you in life like you just <laughs> in, in case life, they turn into zombies you don't form they, any bonds or relationships in a barn you know six hours later but yeah it was as i say that's when it really started to hurt people i think we were mm. a lot more vulnerable then i think mm. in tv watching like this was pre game of thrones this was pre handmaid's tale you know where where people are expendable like this is this was the beginning and this takes place this series is basically just herschel's farm isn't it like yeah. the whole series mm -hmm. is on herschel's farm so it's quite a slow burn the whole thing is as this show very regularly is like it's, it sort of slips back into that mm -hmm. uh, i think you know the, the high point or rather the dramatic high point of this is definitely the showdown between between Shane and Rick, where Shane essentially sets Rick up to be killed. He's made a decision. He's going to do it. He goes through an elaborate ruse by pretending a guy has escaped when he's actually killed him to get Rick out to search for him, to ambush him. But uh, Rick gets the upper hand. And then it is Carl who ultimately Carl. puts Shane down. And that, I think, is when Carl grew up. Oh, God, yeah. And then just kept growing, bless him. Mm. Yeah. 
But not like he's not like twenty five feet tall by the by, no. by the time he appears last. I mean, that's uh, just one yeah. of of several, you know, mercy killings that that poor kid has to do. Oh mm. god! Oh god! I completely yeah. forgot to tell people to put earmuffs on because we're talking spoilers I mean, the whole and deaths thing is right and center. Right. But yeah, this is Walking Dead, folks. <laughs> yeah. People die that's in horrible, it. horrible ways. And Shane's death is is interesting as well because it's a whole complicated nature of the love triangle with Laurie, and mm. yeah. you know, is Shane or is Shane not the father of Judith? Who's and, the father? Yeah, uh, who's the daddy? Walking Dead style, the Walking Dad, mm. and and you also have that scene between Carl and and Rick and Shane is interesting because Shane reanimates, having mm. been killed mm. naturally, and yes, yeah. and not bitten, and he reanimates, and it, which is something, of course, that Rick has known since the end of of season one, but has kept to himself. That's yes. right. Yeah, obviously, John Bernthal is a, a tremendous actor and has gone on to huge, huge things, but. I still think it would have been nice to keep him around maybe in another season or so and you know, but but perhaps perhaps narratively speaking it was his time to go. Yeah. But also they're making room because at the end of this we see when when Andrea kind of gets separated and wanders off we see Michonne for the first time. Yes. And she I think is the most popular character in the comic so that was a really yeah. big deal. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And also it hints very heavily at the prison, which reading the comic books was my favourite arc by Same, yeah. by far. Uh, and it introduced the governor and it brings us very neatly to season three. Season three, folks, in which after a time jump of eight months that won't be the show's last, <laughs> we find Rick and Chums hiding out at a large prison and coming into contact with the nearby community of Woodbury, which is led by a man with a serious attitude. And, for a while at least... Both eyes. <laughs> Praise Jeebus, the governor has arrived. Has, as we said, I thought like the governor in this is actually like a, a dialed down version of the governor mm. in the comics. Because the governor in the comics, and he cuts off Rick's hand when he first meets him. And for the main character of your story to be dismembered, that's kind of a big thing. Mm. But luckily, we don't go that way in the TV show. It's a little bit because again, David Morrissey, like he he, he he brings humanity to this character. He's doing his best. Yes, he keeps heads in jars, which is not normal behaviour. <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, he, he keeps a nice little. He keeps a tight ship, nice little township. Woodbury seems like a nice place. He's a you know. lovely, lovely guy, and uh, in in real life, a massive red, so he can do no wrong, as far as I'm <laughs> yeah, concerned. Yeah, he's a caring father. He's got you know everything. He yes, that's right. He keeps his daughter around. <laughs> yeah, regardless. Even when she tries to <laughs> yeah. more than eat him. I love how they didn't. Uh, they decided not to cut off Rick's arm because they they figured that it would be too prohibitive from a special effects perspective oh, to to have yeah. Andrew Lincoln have a prosthetic arm or even a CG arm for however many seasons they were going to do at this point. And then later on, they have yeah. a character like Aaron <laughs> yeah. loses his arm. And gets a mace arm, which, as Negan points <laughs> out, is arm. badass. Mace arm is so. the best arm. <laughs> you want to, if you're going through the, the catalogue of arms, mace arm is the one that you want. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But yeah, but I guess I guess Aaron doesn't have as much screen time as Rick, so they were thinking, yeah. okay, we can't yeah. get away with it with uh, Andrew Lincoln, but we can get away with it with uh, Ross Marquand. Hmm. Yeah, but as you say, like the, the prison sequence works really well in the comics for the same reason I think it works well in the show because it's just such a genius location, isn't it? Because zombie apocalypse, of course, a place designed to keep people in is the best way to keep people out. So they hole up in the prison and you think for a while, like this this could be, I mean, okay, it's not Woodbury, they don't have picket fences, but from a pure practicality point of view, they found the ideal place. And you and but then of course it goes tits up <laughs> as, as things are want to do in the apocalypse it, indeed and and interesting enough because a lot of shows 
can fall into this trap, especially, and you know, and even I, I would say even The Walking Dead fell into this trap uh, a little bit in later seasons of positioning all your pieces, moving them around the board, and making sure that you have a big explosive finale or penultimate episode, and then the finale of each season deals with the fallout of what just happened. And that happens quite a bit in you know Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones and Sopranos and all those you know big shows. Um, and it happens a little bit in Walking Dead, but now and again, it'll blindside you with a major death when you really, really don't expect it really early in a season. And the first major death that really blindsided me was Rick's wife, Laurie, who mm. dies in episode four. And in a way that's completely different to the way that she dies in the comic book. She's, she dies in a prison in the comic book. So maybe you're expecting something like that. But she dies in a very, very different way. And she dies without Rick there. She dies, you know, basically in childbirth. And it's yeah. horrible and gut-wrenching and then made worse because her son is forced to kill her again <laughs> this is it yeah. she double dies so she's another yeah. one that double dies at the hands of carl oh there's a lot of double deaths yeah i mean carl's really been through the ringer at this point it's 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 not great no yeah. his little journey is only start my heart goes out to carl good lord and we haven't even got to the bit where he gets shot in the face <laughs> <laughs> and then and then and then dies <laughs> and then dies later. <laughs> oh poor Carl! Poor Carl! See, we're finding happiness. Uh, this is yeah. going back to my early thing that you know ultimately the message of The Walking Dead is to find happiness amidst the the trauma and the carnage, and we're doing so by we laughing are. at a young boy being shot in the face. Um, but also the double death thing is there's another one in this in this season, which is you know finally Merle Dixon goes out, and you have that scene where Daryl has to put his brother down like a wild and rabid dog but you know hey you know look at the bright side right glenn and maggie that relationship oh. is really sweet and they lived happily ever after. exactly they're the rock of this series and it's a good job nothing bad happens to that relationship so that's that's nice yeah <laughs> oh, um i have to say i think season three might be my favorite Ooh. Mm, interesting it is a very good one yeah. it's a very very good season I think it was the point at which the show was a true pop culture phenomenon. It was, I think it has the episode that is the biggest episode in The Walking Dead's history. And it was just absolutely enormous. But I'm a, I'm a sucker for not just zombie flicks and zombie, you know, movies which examine the zombie apocalypse, but siege movies. And this is basically this and, and season four or the first half of season four are essentially siege movies writ large. Yeah. Mm. Gobble mm. it up. Yum, yum, yum. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so let's move on to season four then, uh, in which having thwarted a previous attack by the governor, who now has one eye, the survivors continue to lead life at the prison, blissfully unaware that the governor is out there going slowly even more insane and planning revenge. Rick has stepped back from his leadership role, afraid of what he has and could become. And then the governor comes out of hiding and launches an all-out assault on the prison, which doesn't end well for, well, one character in particular. Herschel. Poor old Herschel. <laughs> R.I.P. Herschel. God, that one hurt. Indeed. But, but more shocking, I think, than that is the fact that, you know, this is a disease breaks out at the prison. Like, that's the problem they have first of all. So now yeah. zombies aren't enough to worry about. They now have, like, COVID or whatever it is yeah. to deal with. So. Yeah, this is, the, this is the season that's really difficult to watch in the current climate. <laughs> But yeah. also, it's like the fact that Carol goes full yeah. sort of psycho, and you're like, all right, calm down, Carol. Oh, yeah. No, do you know what? Carol gets it done. <laughs> she this does. Carol, Carol gets it done. Do you know what? Carol just rolls up the sleeves. Carol gets it done. 
Season oh four, Carol God. gets it down and keeps getting it down. But she kills and burns Tyrese's girlfriend, yep. which he takes badly, understandably. And yet, here she is getting a spin-off, so, you know. But um, honestly, if we're talking about Carol in this season, I have to say, there's a sequence in this season, which I think, if we're talking about the most shocking slash upsetting deaths, mm. I'm not saying this is number one, but I think it's probably number two, uh, and it is Lizzie. Uh, Lizzie and her sister Mika, who uh, two sisters, and Lizzie, I don't think Lizzie's actually a sociopath. I think Lizzie just goes a bit Ooh. round the bend. So she's not a girl, she decides that the walkers are not evil, they're just, and they're not dead, she decides they're just another type of person. And she gets into her head, she tries to humanise them. She murders her sister Mika. Yeah hoping that Mika will then come back and be her friend and play with her as a zombie. And at that point, Carol's like, this, this girl is cracked in the head. Yeah. So Carol takes her out, gets her to look in the other direction, and shoots her yep. in the head. Carol gets things done. That's, she that's the name of the show. Carol yeah. gets it done. It's like Home Improvement with Tim Allen on U.S. Carol. And instead of talking to Wilson at the fence every episode, she's just shooting Wilson through the fence because Carol gets things done. Carol gets she it does. done. Yeah. Wilson has a sniffle. Carol gets it done. Yeah. Yeah. Carol doesn't self-isolate. No, she shoots Wilson in the face. That's what happens. Uh, we should probably just mention... Uh, before we finish up on season four, this is the season where we meet Abraham, Rosita, and Eugene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glenn runs into them, so we introduce them. But it's also the bit where the group gets split up, doesn't it? They, they, they fragment when they flee the prison. So we have episodes with one group, we have episodes with another group, and they're all heading towards Terminus. As he signs for Terminus, and they finally get to Terminus and find out, of course, it's not the welcome they wanted. It's a big old load of cannibals, and they all get captured because, of course, they do. Yes, what's next? Human cannibals. If it's not the dead trying to eat you, it's a living. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. It's not one thing, it's another. Uh, and that, in a way, barrels straight into season five, in which Rick and the gang find themselves imprisoned in Terminus. But not for long, admittedly. Uh, escaping from there, they wind up in a potential safe haven. The clue is in the name. It's a walled-off community called Alexandria. Alexandretta Safe Zone. Yes, indeed. Except... Beth, sorry, Beth, but Beth, Maggie's sister Beth, meets her comeuppance in this season because she gets kidnapped and sort of there's there's like a crazy cop running a hospital in one of the cities and she gets kidnapped by her. uh, And in this season, that doesn't end well. She (laughs) gets killed by her and that is the end of Beth. Mm -hmm. But we do meet Noah and it's great that we've got Noah, except we don't keep Noah because Noah gets killed in a revolving door in one of the most gory deaths <laughs> oh, I would say. That one hurts. Yeah, you know where, where the guy's trying to get out, they're in the revolving door and they're like, if we just stay still, we'll be fine. If we just stay still and the guy makes a run no, for it no, and no. Noah gets his intestines pulled out. And Glenn watches because everyone has to watch everything that happens to everyone they love ever in this show. But don't worry, Glenn is totally fine and will go yeah. on to live yeah. for Indeed. many, many years still and be nominated <laughs> yes. for an Oscar. So it's all good. Glenn yeah. wins. Glenn, Carol gets things done and Glenn wins. <laughs> That's what happens to Glenn. Yeah. Nothing else. Absolutely Okay. Not. But uh, yeah, so, so Beth gets killed. And there's, there's also an episode that's stuck in my head, which is the episode where Tyrese, oh, uh, played yes. by, by Chad Coleman, one of the mm. many alumni of The Wire. <laughs> in yes. fact, Bob Love gets Chad killed Coleman. in this, this season as well. <laughs> so it's like, just, you know, if, chances are, if you're in The Wire, at some point you will end up in The Walking Dead. But bad hey, news is- but we get Gabriel. <laughs> we do get Gabriel. <laughs> we get Gabriel. <laughs> he joins and he's still around. He's still so, around. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. Uh, but poor old Tyrese. Tyrese gets, uh, gets bitten. And, you know, the show every now and again takes these detours and diversions and into mm. people's mindsets and, and, and their state of mind 
as they're hallucinating. Rick, you know, number of times has been, you know, absolutely driven mad with grief. And so it plays very, very nicely with that. It incorporates flashbacks and guest cameos from people who died a long time ago in a very, very elegant way. And there's a lovely episode directed by Greg Nicotero uh, in which Tyrese is dying and knows yeah. he's dying and gets visited by ghosts of the past, essentially, and, and gets to go out, you know, almost almost beatifically, if mm. that is the right word. And if I'm pronouncing it correctly, which I probably am not. Yeah, but he does. He comes to terms with it, doesn't he? Because he, he he comes to the conclusion that as a very empathetic, sort of very sort of deep feeling person, this world is too brutal for him. So I think he's happy to shuffle off at the end of it. But it's, yeah. it's a lovely episode, that. Mm, yeah. Definitely. Bitten by Noah's younger brother, I recall. He was hiding in a cupboard. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> because of course he was. Of course he was. And we should point out he was a walker as well. He, he wasn't just, yeah. was just, <laughs> was just a really shitty just kid hungry. hiding in a cupboard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just bites him. It wasn't that at all. Uh, and Morgan comes back properly in yes. this, yes. In this yeah. season with these, you know, he's on the periphery of things with his, with his big stick. And Morgan, played, of course, by the wonderful Lenny James, yeah. now a mainstay of Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, he was in the very first episode, of course, and he is kind of one of the mainstays of the show overall, I, I would say. He, he, he went out of it for a long, long time, comes back every now and again. But when we meet him again here, he is properly transformed into, mm. into this sort of Sen martial arts master, which is <laughs> yeah. cool. Fantastic. Look, if you're going to live in a zombie apocalypse, be a Zen martial arts master. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't hide in the cupboard and bite people. No. no. <laughs> Walk Pick around killing them with your big stick. Carry a big yeah. stick, <laughs> as the Bible says. <laughs> Indeed. And Morgan, of course, gets his moment, a uh, big moment. He gets an episode to, his, to himself uh, in yeah. season six. So let's move on to season six, in which our heroes face numerous threats, including a group of scavengers known as the wolves. If it's not one thing, it's another. <laughs> then there's a giant swarm of walkers that they have to deal with. And then when they move to a community called Hilltop, they have to face another group known as the Saviors and their charismatic leader, Negan. Although we don't meet him no, for a while. Because they all claim to be Negan. Mm. Uh, but what's really interesting about this is because everyone remembers Negan as turning up, as we will get to, and swinging his big old bat. But they kind of start this whole thing because they make this deal with Hilltop. Yeah. To get Hilltop out of the ship, they will deal with these saviors. So they kind of got it coming, I'm yeah, saying, at this exactly, point. exactly, exactly. Although, obviously, you don't think that when the end no. is nigh. But yeah, yeah, looking back. Yeah, 100%. It's a murky morality again, isn't it? You know, didn't, It is. Doesn't Rick say in, a, in an earlier, like, I can't remember if it was season one or season two, he says to, to Daryl, we don't kill the living. And then a few episodes later, he has deteriorated to the point where he's just randomly just pushing people in front of buses. Well, there's that bit when he's in Alexandria, when he essentially takes over Alexandria, mm. where yeah. he's been having that issue with the abusive husband and he's been getting closer to the wife and it all kicks off a bit. And they're like, no, you can't behave like that. And it's when he doesn't, he's the leader, Diana, her husband gets stabbed Pete. and she gives Rick the literal mm. nod. Like she gives him yeah, the nod. Yeah, he pulls yeah, out his yeah, gun yeah. and goes, bang. Yeah. And you're like, yes. This is how we do things in the new world. Yeah, Rick and Carol get things done, but uh, <laughs> not necessarily the things you want to see get done or in the way yes. you want to see them get done, but they certainly do get things done. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because obviously there's, uh, there's you know, in any show like this that, that has its, you know, Breaking Bad is one that, that comes to mind where we see Walter White devolve from lovely chemistry teacher to <laughs> all out drug kingpin who will merrily have people shivved uh, just, you know, so you can keep, 
making money. And it's about taking you on a journey with that character and making sure that, you know, how do you not lose the audience? And I think Andrew Lincoln's innate likability it plays a big part in that. But how mm. have they, how, obviously Rick's no longer in the show, we'll get that in a second, but how did they not lose the audience with Rick when he went on those darker detours, when he did lose sight of his humanity? I think it's all it's all to do with perspective, isn't it? Like when you see our heroes go to the outpost and slaughter saviors in their beds, you know, if you'd been if the whole thing had been shot and written from the point of view of the saviors, you would see them absolutely unequivocally as the villains. But you've been on this journey with these people, you've lived with these people, you've you you know you've you've fought alongside these people, so your sympathies are with them. And I think you have to go quite a long way at this point to make you lose those sympathies. And I think, you know, we hear about the saviors, we hear they're bad guys, we take Hilltop's word for it, and we're like, go on, son, kill them all in their sleep. Because frankly, when you've watched this show this far, I think your own morality starts to stretch a little bit and you start exactly. to inhabit this world. I'm a different like, yeah, person now. I'm a different person to when I started watching this show. But I also think with Rick, with every character, with every central character who's left at this stage, they're so readily defined by the relationships that they have with the other characters. And I think Rick's relationships at this stage are great. He's got a great rapport with Daryl. Him and Carol have got the little wink, wink, murder, murder, <laughs> back and forth as well. You know, wink, yeah, yeah. You know, they're both, you know, they're, they're both seeing, they're both kind of unified in moving forward at this stage. Whereas before, mm -hmm. you know, he had this slightly superior moral ground, whereas now he's mm -hmm. down and dirty with them at this yes. stage as well, which makes him more interesting, if anything. So I like that a lot. I want to give a special shout out to Merritt Weaver who uh, pops up in this as Dr. Denise. Yes. Who just wanted to get an orange soda for a girlfriend. Club Orange is of course the best soda. Northern Irish <laughs> listeners know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. Club Orangina, Orangina for the win. Orangina. <laughs> Come on. It's Come Orangina. On. Holiday in a bottle. You guys, Orangina. Shake Amateurs. the bottle. Wake the drink. Amateurs. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of waking the drink. Oh, I'm interested to see where this segue is going. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the uh, I would say that the big the big moment so the big moment comes at the end of this season where we meet Negan. It's like Maggie's ah, in. I'm going in, to disagree in, with you. Oh, okay, Ooh. fine. Well, I'm saying where she goes into maternal distress. They try and get her to the doctor. They're trying to get her to Hilltop. They find a lot of trees in their path, and then a very uh, uh, audible whistle. And we finally meet Negan. And this series ends with him beating someone to death, but you don't know who. Yes, and we will talk about that in a second when we get on to season seven. But for me, the big moment was quite a controversial moment. Okay. Do you remember the fake out over Glenn's death? Yes, I oh do. Oh my God, so yeah. I do. There's, the, there's an episode, it's, I think maybe the first or the second episode of, of season six, where he and a character called Nicholas are surrounded by walkers and they're on mm -hmm. a... What dumpster. Those things. Dumpster, thank you. Yes, it's a dumpster fire of an analogy, but there I got it. Uh, so they're on a dumpster and then Nicholas naturally shoots himself in the head and falls off and they both get pounced on by the walkers. And the last thing we see is like Glenn yelling out in pain. It's like, oh no, no, not Glenn. He's been around since episode one. We love him. We love Stephen Young and he's fantastic. Please don't kill Glenn, especially, you know, because, you know, he... He's going to go live in a farm with Maggie forever and they're going to raise kids and nothing bad ever happened to Glenn in the comics and I'm sure nothing bad will ever happen to Glenn in the TV show. <laughs> so <laughs> it's totally fine. And then that was the end of the episode. Then the next episode was Morgan's flashback episode and they took Stephen Young's name out of the credits to make yes, it look did. like he was dead. Yeah. And then when yeah. they came back after the Morgan episode, 
you still didn't see Glenn. I don't think you saw Glenn again for three, three episodes, episodes or so. Yeah. yeah. And there was a fair amount of pushback about that. But what did you guys think about that as a, as a sort of technique to amp up audience interest? I didn't believe for one second he was dead. I really didn't. Because then I, I just assumed that we knew when his death was coming, having read the comics. And I remember being at Comic-Con the year. Do you remember this, Chris? We were at Comic-Con the month that that episode, that issue of the comic, I think, dropped. Yes. And we out there, wasn't it? It was around that time. James, this and- is embedded in my brain. The reason this is embedded in my mind is because, once again, at another Walking Dead press event at Comic-Con, <laughs> when we got there early... Uh, and you know what, what? What they would do with these things is uh, you know, they would have like a a press breakfast with the cast and the creators of The Walking Dead. So you could just basically walk around and sit down at tables and you know have a chat with Andrew Lincoln, Stephen Young, and Melissa McBride, or Greg Nicotero, or you know even Robert Kirkman. They'd be all be walking around and you'd have a lovely breakfast on top of this roof in the hotel in San Diego. And then it was a press conference, usually hosted by Jonathan Ross. And we got there early, and they had left copies of issue 100 on everybody's chairs. I was massively excited about this because issue 100 hadn't come out yet. And so we were grabbing issue 100 and seeing what happens, what happens? Because, you know, the cover makes it clear that someone's going to get on the wrong side of Lucille, Negan's bat, uh, or Negan, as I thought he was pronounced back then. Um, And then, (laughs) so I'm flicking through it. And then, lo and behold, Glenn gets beaten to death horrifically, graphically in this. And I was like, oh my God, Glenn has died. So it comes to the press conference and then Muggins here goes, you know what, I'm going to ask a question about that. So I put my hand up and go, uh, hi, hi, Chris Mempi here. Uh, hi, uh, has, uh, has Stephen Young seen, um, <laughs> have you seen Have you seen issue 100, Stephen? <laughs> what did you think about that? And then Jonathan Ross was like, I haven't read the comic yet. You've spoiled it for me, you idiot. So that was that was a fun time. Fun time for me, fun God. time for everybody. But yeah, it was, it was, that's embedded in my brain. And indeed was embedded in, uh, in his brain. So, <laughs> <Yes>. you know. <laughs> <laughs> we should not laugh at this. We should not laugh at this. So anyway, that brings us nicely into season seven, in which Negan makes his point by killing yeah. two of Rick's most trusted lieutenants or lieutenants, if you will. Uh, so Abraham is the mystery death at the end of, of season six. Properly pulverized. Yeah. Properly pulverized. And, and then everyone who knows the comic book was really happy about that because they thought yeah. that that meant yeah. <laughs> perversely, bizarrely happy about that because we thought that Glenn had been spared. Mm. And then Negan goes back and makes an example of Glenn as well in front of Maggie. It's Daryl's fault. It's, Darryl's it's fault. literally Daryl's fault. <laughs> Walking Dead had never been that extreme before and it's never been that extreme since. Mm. That was the most shocking thing that ever happened in the show and the most unpleasant thing. And even I, I mean, I really struggled with that episode. And it wasn't even just the killing of Glenn and the graphic nature of Glenn's death. It was the campaign of, frankly, like, almost like, well, it was abuse, the campaign of abuse that follows. Like, he takes Rick from there, drags him into a Winnebago, and then it's like, that's my axe, chucks it on the roof of the thing, go and get my axe, and almost dares Rick to try and kill him with the axe. But Negan has instilled, just in that short period of time, he's instilled so much fear in him that, like, in an abusive relationship, he he's Rick can't act against him. He doesn't have the fortitude to act against Negan, even though, you know, he might well have been able to. Mm. And that goes on for the whole of this season. It's all mind games. Negan is this master Mm. manipulator and he just uses that sense of fear. He does something shocking and he uses that fear to command obedience from people. And it's really, really tough to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And do you remember there was a press, they were sending out cakes shaped like Lucille. And even then I thought... 
Too soon. It's too soon. This is too soon. Yeah, you're right. Most shocking yet to be replicated, although they made a few good stabs in the later seasons to try and kind of shock on that level. <laughs> but yeah, this was... When I say this was a show that hurt people, that that was the one that really twisted the knife. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Because it was Glenn, and Glenn was the it good was guy. Glenn. You don't even need to mm. really explain it. It was Glenn. Yeah. Pregnant wife, next yep. to him, just... Oh. And more than any other character, I think he was largely uncorrupted by what he had seen. He had dark yeah. moments, and, and, and he fell into pits of depression, but he never lost sight of what made him Glenn. You know, mm. right back in that early appearance when he when he... You know, taunted Rick over the the walkie-talkie right at the end of episode one. He was still Glenn, and uh, and I think also the way that it 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 was a fake out that it made you think, oh, they're, they're going to yeah. deviate from the comic books and keep him alive because he's so gosh darn likable. Yeah, uh, that was that was a real real gut punch. And with Negan reading the comic books was an interesting experience for me because I always saw Negan as basically. Somehow, both a an amped up version of the governor, but also a watered down version of the governor. It felt to me like you know, like Kirkman was playing a lot of the same notes that he was playing with the governor. But I think the casting of Jeffrey Dean Morgan has been absolutely key yeah. to rehabilitating that character yeah. because oh, yeah. I think you know, pretty much any other actor, you would have yourselves uh, just you, you, a point of no return. Watching The Walking Dead after that point, because I, I wavered. Uh, then and I've you know I've gone back and revisited it since and you know it being on Star has meant I've been able to dip in and watch episodes again and watch episodes I hadn't seen which is re- which is really interesting and you know I was always kind of anti Negan I always had a, an antipathy towards that character but there's something about the not just the swagger and the charisma of Jeffrey Dean Morgan that's almost a given but there's something about the way that he infests that character with humanity which is interesting. I really like Negan and I like the way he's written in the comics. He's a very mannered character. Like in the comics, yeah. he swears in incredibly creative ways mm. and that's dialed down a little bit in the yeah. show. But again, he is. He's very flamboyant and he's funny as well in a really intimidating, terrifying way. Having had this episode, this shocking moment, to rehabilitate him after that is no mean feat. Yeah. I think this show for me is at its best when a good baddie has really hit their stride. Mm. You know, we've got three, maybe four central baddies that we've we've dealt with over the, the past 10 seasons. And when they're in their strides, when they've really had that moment where you're like, this show's never going to be the same again after this moment, I think that is definitely when Walking Dead is at its best. More so mm. than, you know, navigating through the politics of the community. It's when we're really in the crux of evil and we don't know what's going to happen next, I think is is when it draws you in the most. But yeah, I agree. That casting, I think, is the best the best mm. on the show. Second mm. to Samantha Morton, who we'll get into in a bit. But but yeah, mm. he, he imbues it. Was, again, I can't stress enough, go and look at these Comic-Con fan photos. <laughs> just for, it, it's just such a palpable love for the character as well. Like I, I really get that sense from him. So yeah, yeah. Mm. He does a lot of pivoting at the waist, if you notice. He bends a lot when he's talking. It's quite funny. It's absolutely true. Watch it. You won't be able to unsee it now. Uh, He does a lot of bending. Um, But not just Negan. Like This this season sort of broadens the world a little bit as well, because we get Oceanside, Tara finds Oceanside, was the all-female community by the beach, called the men have been killed by the saviours. And we also meet one of my favourite characters, Ezekiel, King Ezekiel uh, of the kingdom and his tiger. Oh, and also we meet Jerry, and Jerry is one of my favourite characters as well, who's the king's <laughs> right-hand man. <laughs> All right, well, we'll 
this leads us nicely into season eight, uh, in which it is all out war between Rick and his alliance, yeah. including Oceanside and the kingdom and Hilltop and Negan and the saviors. It's fair to say that once again, this has a, an interesting and unexpected development uh, in that Carl, uh, Rick's son Carl, dies. Yeah. Out of the Poor blue. one-eyed Carl, who'd yes. been shot in the face and survived, yeah. gets bitten while trying to save Sadiq. Yes. Uh, and it's a very touching moment because, yeah. you know, they leave him alone. He writes his letters, including one to Negan, which is quite interesting, and then, uh, and then takes his own life rather than, than turn into a zombie. Yeah. yeah. Would you do that? Would you do that? Or would you like to go... Oh, fuck, I'd the- go full zombie so I could potentially bite you down the road. Naturally. <laughs> Naturally. Which, of course, yeah. is this sort of long, drawn-out assassination <laughs> attempt, isn't it, with Sasha? That's kind yes. of what they try and do. That is it. Yeah. That yeah. is 100% it. Yeah, they turn into some sort of WMD with the W being a walker, I guess. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, because it's like John Leguizamo says in uh, George Romero's Land of the Dead, when he gets bitten, it's like, well, do you want, you know, shall I kill you? Shall I shoot you in the face? And he's like, no. I want to see how the other half live. It does open up that sort of question, isn't it? Like, what what do you experience on the other side? But given what Carl's experienced in his actual life, I mean, I would have euthanized myself far sooner, to be honest. <laughs> I'd have done my mum in and then myself and been like, it's not, this is as bad as it gets, hopefully, but wow. I'm still going to still gonna stop it all. Yeah. yeah. No, that was, that was incredibly sad. And the, yeah, it was very... Um, poetic how I, I think you know he got like a nice graceful outing considering the chaos of his life and you know obviously gets to lay the groundwork for the future relationship of rick and negan you know that informs mm. some pretty big choices further down mm. the line you know there's a real noble cause at the end of his life which i think is really sweet and he got to have a little girlfriend so you know it, it wasn't all bad <laughs> <laughs> Uh, other things to note in this season, Morgan leaves to go to Fear the Walking Dead. He actually, yep. that's his last line. I'm oh. off to Fear the Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, and James's beloved, and the sequel's beloved, Killer Tiger, Shiva. Yeah, Shiva. Yeah. Shiva. Poor oh. Shiva. And they sent like, the little uh, little promotion, they sent little tigers around when they happened. Little little tigers when Shiva died. I was really? Sad. Did they? Yeah, got a little Walking Dead Shiva tiger. Oh, bless <laughs> it. I mean, it's not, it's not got like walker bites in it or anything. It's like, covered in blood. It's like, it was actually intact. But, so, uh, so they recalibrated so. after sending people you know, lovely cakes in the shape yeah, of with, a blood with on baseball bat. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we should pivot in the opposite direction, folks, and just send people cuddly tigers instead. Yes, we also please. should mention we've met the scavengers at this point, Jadis and the scavengers, who were one of the sort of slightly more odd esoteric groups around. Dump gods, in a, I write down a minute. In, indeed, indeed, and they, you know, they they <laughs> side with Negan, don't they? Yeah. At the uh, at the battle last season, so nasty, nasty dump goths. Yeah, nasty goths who live in a rubbish tip. Who'd have figured out they were evil? Hey, come on. The Empire podcast does not condemn goths who live in a dumpster. The Pilot TV podcast, on the other hand, I cannot speak for them. <laughs> the, the Pilot TV podcast seems really judgmental. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just saying. Down with that sort of thing. Just, yeah. <laughs> also worth noting, at the end of the season, we do see the culmination of the fight between our heroes and the saviors when uh, Negan and Rick have a big old battle. Uh, Eugene pulls the rug on the saviors because he's made them bullets that don't work. The saviors fall. Negan and Rick have a fight. Rick wins, but crucially spares Negan's life, based partly on Carl's little letter things. He, he spares Negan's life and decides not to kill him, much <laughs> to Maggie's absolute disgust. Oh, she's angry. Um, oh, dear dad, don't kill Negan. Love, Carl. Kiss. <laughs> to Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Carl. And that brings us in to season nine. It does, doesn't it? 
Now, you know, season nine has a lot of stuff. It has the fallout of that war between Rick and Negan. There's a couple mm-hmm. of time jumps dotted around the season as well. Uh, another group called the Whispers emerges who pose the greatest threat yet to our heroes. They're led by Samantha Morton, of course. But before that happens, biggest shock on the show to date, Rick Grimes, the anchor of The Walking Dead, leaves, presumed Dead by most, but Indeed. not by the audience. But actually taken by Jadis. And this is this is an interesting one because obviously we still don't know what happened because they promised like this 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 series of films that will tell us what happened to Rip. But Jadis takes him, she's gonna take Gabriel, but then she has a change of heart and she takes Rick with her instead. And I think this ties into the CRM, the Civic Republic military, who you actually see in the Walking Dead World Beyond the sort of second mm-hmm. spin-off show. Um but I think that's who she's taken him to. Certainly they have helicopters. But we don't know. Even now in the you know, we do not know what has happened to Rick. So we're still waiting to find out. But he goes and that's a big shock. But then to then follow the shock of Rick's quote unquote death with this time jump and it's not a small time jump it's a six year time jump and this for me was one of the biggest sort of like changes in the show because it it completely shook the show up it refreshed it it changed everything and i think it was a genius move because you've got judith who goes from basically baby to you know grown child holding a sword oh yeah and everyone's moved on. And you're now into this situation where you've got people who have essentially grown up in this new world. And the people who didn't grow up, they've learned to live in this new world. These communities now feel fully post-apocalyptic. It doesn't feel like they're clinging on to the past anymore. So there's a big change in the mythology and in the attitude of all, all the characters. And yeah, I loved it. I thought this was, mm. this was a genius, genius way to shake up the show. Definitely. Let's talk about Rick for a second um, before we get into that. Because it had been announced that Andrew Lincoln was leaving. It the had. movies the wrinkle of the movies was thrown in after his final episode uh, because there was still some uncertainty about whether Rick was or was not dead. And then they revealed that he wasn't dead, that he actually was alive. And then they went, we'll be exploring this in a trilogy of Rick Grimes movies, uh, which I would imagine will come out at some point or, you know, start shooting maybe in the next year or so. And we'll start seeing them soon. But we knew that Andrew Lincoln was leaving and uh, we wondered what this would do to the show uh, and how it would shake things up. And as you rightly say, it, it, it I think it reinvigorated the show. There is criticism of, of shows like this, that sometimes they can become cyclical and they can repeat narratives. You know, hence my, my concern that Negan was a watered down version of the governor. And when you free yourself from that, especially when you know you have an end point, and I think this was perhaps important for The Walking Dead. It's one of the reasons why I'm really excited about the final season, because they're going somewhere and they know where they're going. Uh, whereas previously, I felt there might not be an end to The Walking Dead. It could justifiably go on for forever. And I think Kirkman felt the same thing with the comic book. So he ended the comic book fairly abruptly. Mm, uh, it came out of nowhere. They didn't announce they were ending it. They just ended it. I wonder if that's imbued the showrunner and this Angela Kang and and uh, and her team with a real sense of, of purpose. Uh, of shaking things up as well and just making sure that you're not treading water, which I think is an accusation you could level at seasons five and six of this show. Yeah, I think so. I think this really did do that. But also it wasn't just that he left, bearing in mind that uh, Lauren Cohen also left around the same time, but didn't die. It wasn't spectacular. She just wandered off and you didn't really know what happened. She obviously went off to make Whiskey Cavalier, which weirdly drops on UK TV 
uh, I think like this week. But that show got cancelled, which freed her up, and now she's actually back in The Walking Dead. So it ended up being a hiatus for her, so it's a good job that it was like a temporary thing. So she's now back in that. So we lost those two characters, and then Michonne leaves uh, quite soon after that as well. So there's a real big overhaul in terms of you know the core cast. You've really just got Daryl and Carol now as you know the OG zombie killers. Yeah. And we know they're going to have a spinoff. Daryl and Carol. Daryl and Carol, done. the sitcom. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's important to keep things moving. And of course, they keep things moving with the Whispers, yeah. who are really freaky and unsettling. And Samantha Morton. Oh, she's She's good. spectacular in this, but oh my God. And I think it's such an interesting contrast next to the flamboyance of Negan and, you know, the charisma of the governor that you've got this horrible, like, subdued, sinister, vastly unpredictable very nefarious uh, woman who does some of the nastiest stuff I think that we've seen on the show in a while. Like some of the most assertively evil things um, <laughs> since Glenn's <laughs> since Glenn's death. She's an interesting one because we see her backstory in this, mm. and actually, she's not someone who was oh a lovely, lovely person who got rich. She was always dreadful. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually quite chilling, I think, seeing what she was like kind of before all this kicked off is almost more shocking than what she's like after all this stuff kicks off. But yeah, that's a that's a really interesting thing. And, and in the death of Jesus, who was a who was a mm -hmm. a, oh. a favorite character, yeah. that kind of came out of nowhere. The idea that the Whisperers were hiding among the dead, you know, again, it mixed things up. They were always great mm. in the comics. I like the Whisperers. Uh, and they, I think they use them very well here. Um, and this, of course, let's just say it doesn't end well for anyone. <laughs> no, basically never fall in love. Never fall in love in this yeah, show. Yeah, never fall in love in The Walking Dead is no. what we're saying. <laughs> Stick to yourself. Yeah. And that, that rumble, that rumble, that little rumble they have with the Whispers <laughs> goes on into season 10. And in season 10, that's, that's when Denai Guerrera leaves the show. Indeed. And again, just kind of leaves and... You know, there's, there's obviously she gets a, a big moment to leave, but she's, she's very much kept on the chessboard, and there's yeah. lots of rumors that she may show up in these Rick Grimes movies because, of course, Rick and Michonne have a, a relationship post Laurie, yeah. uh, which is, which is cool. The killing at the fair, I would say, is another one of the show's most shocking moments. So, where Alpha, mm. to make her point, essentially culls a massive chunk of kind of like B level characters yeah. all in one go and mounts their reanimated heads on pikes. That's properly shocking. Yeah, that's vile. Although not as shocking as the the sex scene between Alpha and Negan. And Negan, oh. yeah. Oh, oh, Negan, who we should mention has been marinating in a cell for quite a while. <laughs> and uh, props to Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Like he loses a ton of weight to play kind of yeah. emaciated. Negan has been in a cell for six years. Yeah. They have kept him in this basement cell for six years, which is pretty brutal. Which is part of his kind of rehabilitation in the show. But he gradually kind of gets let out on license, and then Carol gives him a task, which apparently is to go and shag Alpha in a zombie mask. I know it's just so <laughs> twisted, but. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a great moment Just because you're not sure what he's doing or what his play is and you think he may be joining them. Yeah. But then that guy who's trying to sort of cozy up to Negan by being a sociopath, Negan kills him. So you definitely, you know there's been a change in Negan that he's not the man he was. Even when he gets his leather jacket back, you know he's not the guy that he used to be. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the season ends with Lucille being destroyed, literally and metaphorically as well. Indeed, yes, when he goes back to find the bat and he digs up Lucille where he first, well, where he last fought Rick uh, when he was defeated. And yes, the bat breaks 
and that's uh, I think that's uh, that's a big. That's I mean, what I really liked actually about that is is, is the end of season ten. We got those extra bonus episodes. So we've mm. seen the re- resolution of the Whisperers. We've seen Alpha get killed. Negan kills Alpha, and then Ryan Hurst, who plays Beta, who's brilliant, he then becomes the big bad. Then we have the big climactic fight with the Whisperers. Beta is destroyed. That threat has passed. However because of covid obviously everything kind of stretched on a little bit we didn't get season 11 when we thought we were going to so we got these bonus extra episodes at the end of yeah. season 10 and what i think worked so well about those is because they were shot during the restrictions of covid19 they became very character focused rather than plot focused they allowed characters to have their little moments as a there's a brilliant one with Aaron and Gabriel who run into Robert Patrick, as you do. Uh, and that kind of gets under the skin of those characters. There's a brilliant one. There's a Daryl and Carol episode where you see what happened to Daryl in the aftermath of Rick's disappearance when he's searching for Rick. And that's a beautiful moment where you see some of Daryl's personal life yeah. and a lot of stuff happens there. I thought that was great. So there are a few of these like great little standalone episodes. My favourite one, the one I was most looking forward to, and I know I'm banging the Negan drum quite a lot here, but <laughs> there is the This Is Negan episode, the kind of where you go into Negan's backstory and you see who he was. And I think they'd done such a good job up until this point of redeeming Negan, of making him a sympathetic character. You know, he helps defeat the Whisperer's threat. You've got the bit where he's trying to get back into their good graces. Like he's working in the fields, he's trying really hard. And then when Maggie returns, because of course she does at the end of season 10, it becomes properly difficult for Negan and also for her. He (laughs) beat her husband to death in front of her. Let's not forget that. But, you know, he's trying, you know, and he goes, hey, Maggie. And it's like, ooh, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. But in that episode, you see what happened to him. You see who Lucille was. You see, that's the name of his wife. You see his origin story. His wife had obviously played this by Hilary Burton, who's Jeffrey Dean Morgan's real life wife. And that's a lovely episode. And you see him as he was. Like he was a kind of a, a, a high school gym teacher. He was a bit of flounder, but his wife gets cancer. And after that, he kind of really goes out of his way to try and reform. And he's trying to get her the... Uh, sort of a chemo meds to keep her alive mm. um, and he's delayed and it all goes a bit tits up and she dies and that's the turning point and you see at that point he realises this world has changed yeah. and to survive in this world he has to change too and you see him consciously make the decision that he's not going to give up he's not going to lay down he's going to survive and that means hardening himself and that's when he really becomes the Negan that we know and I just think the sort of amount of character growth in that episode that we see that first of all lays the foundation for the old Negan, the evil Negan, and then also leaves that sort of germ of redemption for the Negan we now have. I think that was a beautifully written episode. Uh, and that's the last that's the last one we've had, uh, which was pretty excellent. It's a rare silver lining you get from, from COVID, I guess. Yeah. We also got to see baby Glenn. Well, yes. <laughs> Little baby Glenn for the first time. We did. But indeed. yeah, no, I think... Yeah, we take the wins where we can. And if it meant a few dedicated, as you say, beautifully written, beautifully orchestrated, beautifully acted um, Mm. episodes to to kind of add to the fabric of the show at a time when, you know, maybe attention's waning a little bit, then then, then good on them. I think that was great. Yeah, 100%. All right. Well, now that the final episode of season 10 is out of the way, that's very, very quickly look forward to season 11 because there's all sorts of ways they could go. There's all Mm. sorts of things they could do. We know part of where we're going because obviously if you've read the final arc in the comics, the comics ends with the Commonwealth. That's the last community community they encounter. And we have encountered the Commonwealth as of the end of season 10. Mm. So that's now going to play out in season 11. And then if you have read the comics, you'll know that it also ends. The comics end essentially after that. Uh, But there's far more to it than that. There's far more to it than that. And of course, if you read the comic books, you'll know that Rick and Carl play major parts in the (laughs) resolution of that. 
and they ain't around and Daryl isn't in the comic books and Carol isn't in the comic books as things stand. Mm. So this isn't a show I think that's this interested in cures or you know, magical catch-all explanation for what's happening here. I think this is going to be ultimately pointing in a pointing towards a peaceful resolution but we know there's Rick Grimes films to come we know there's a Daryl and Carol spin-off there's another spin-off that's been mooted as well so I'm excited about the future I'm excited to see what happens because I don't I hear I here's the thing I don't have a goddamn clue what's going to happen yeah. in season 11 <laughs> no no neither do I I think I think all yeah. bets are now off but Eugene will save us Oh, absolutely. And on that note, that is it for this co-production between Empire and the Pilot TV podcast. Thank you so yes. much for listening. Don't forget, of course, you can see all 10 seasons of The Walking Dead on Star, which is on Disney Plus, available to all Disney Plus subscribers. So go check that out. And of course, if you don't already listen to the Empire podcast, it's out every single Friday. And the Pilot TV podcast is also out at some point during the week. Every single right? Monday. Damn it, James. That is right. Damn it, James. <laughs> anyway, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, until then, it is goodbye from my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, Beth, who has not gone for a funny squadcast name. In fact, neither is James, and I feel very, very disappointed. Sorry, it's just, it's in, I don't think you realise the pressure I feel every single, I, it really stresses me out. So yeah, I'm Beth. <laughs> well, it's a tribute. It's a tribute to Beth. It's a, it's a tribute, tribute to, to Beth. Beth. May she rest in peace. James, I don't remember any major Walking Dead characters called James, but there's a lot of dyers. Dying. Di- yeah, lo- there yeah, is. There's a lot That's of people right. who die, is basically what I'm there saying. Are, yeah. There are a lot of dyers in The Walking Dead. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm any one of those. <laughs> It's goodbye from James Dyer, of course, and it's goodbye from me if Daryl riots, we die. See, clever inversion of the popular hashtag. Anyway, because this is an Empire and Pilot co-production, I led into the show with the Empire theme music, so now it is time to hand over graciously to James Dyer, the host of the Pilot TV podcast, to lead us out with the Pilot theme music as well. James. Thank you, Chris. We will be back on the Pilot TV podcast every Monday. Until then, though, pilot out. (laughs) 